Mutability. Welcome to Nature's Lead. This is a podcast available at naturesleed.com that both examines and inspires a certain approach towards life that is based both on personal philosophies and on the writings of people such as Emerson and Thoreau. Please send any feedback to info at naturesleed.com or drop a comment onto the blog at naturesleed.com or even onto iTunes or wherever you get the feed from. And if you're new to the podcast, I encourage you to listen to any prior episodes to get a better feel for things. This is Series 1, Episode 15, Title, Nature's Delicate Immensity. Okay, good to be back here talking to you. In this episode, I read from Emerson's work, Nature, which both defines nature and speaks of its significance to humanity. So we'll get to that in a second, but first, today's random window. This is another observation from my car while doing time at a traffic light. I looked over at this small pool of water in the gutter, the drain having been clogged by debris. And in the twilight, I saw the gentle ripples on the surface sweeping over the reflection of the towering roof of the gas station, the lights having just been turned on with the coming darkness. I've seen this gas station a thousand times, but the water... The natural window of that pool enveloped that steel and concrete into a digestible painting. It softened the bristled outcroppings of commerce into a mere distant reflection, an unreal impression that found beauty in the impossible. On to the main topic, nature's delicate immensity. In 1836, Emerson wrote a groundbreaking essay simply called Nature. He is very direct and uplifting in his language as he evangelizes a new approach to our lives and to the natural world. This is one of my favorite works by him, and in this episode, I'll be reading many lines from the beginning section of the essay. There's so much to consume and to understand in its density and freshness that just the first couple pages foster revolutions in one's mind that must be fought and won before turning the text. Let us then start near the top, as Emerson begins by first defining nature in his eyes. Philosophically considered, the universe is composed of nature and the soul. Strictly speaking, therefore, All that is separate from us, all which philosophy distinguishes as the not-me, that is, both nature and art, all other men and my own body must be ranked under this name, nature. In enumerating the values of nature and casting up their sum, I shall use the word in both senses, in its common and in its philosophical import. In inquiries so general as our present one, the inaccuracy is not material. No confusion of thought will occur. Nature, in the common sense, refers to essences unchanged by man. Space, the air, the river, the leaf. Art is applied to the mixture of his will with the same things, as in a house, a canal, a statue, a picture. But his operations taken together are so insignificant, a little chipping, baking, patching, and washing, that in an impression so grand as that of the world on the human mind, they do not vary the result. This is an interesting breakdown of categories. 
he sees nature as everything natural apart from his soul. And he sees the mixture of the human soul and nature as art. But he emphasizes that all the works of that mixture are so, quote, insignificant next to the weight of nature's impression on us that they do not even, quote, vary the result. He immediately sets the tone that nature is significantly great and vast, and it is everything that, quote, philosophy distinguishes as the not me. And the not me is in all caps. This quote is also perfectly accurate in succinctly couching the difficult question of defining consciousness and self-awareness. He simply defines this nebulous line as wherever the boundary lies between me and everything else. Emerson then goes on to talk about nature's effect on us. The stars awaken a certain reverence because, though always present, they are inaccessible. But all natural objects make a kindred impression when the mind is open to their influence. Nature never wears a mean appearance. Neither does the wisest man extort her secret and lose his curiosity by finding out all her perfection. Nature never became a toy to a wise spirit. The flowers, the animals, the mountains reflected the wisdom of his best hour as much as they had delighted the simplicity of his childhood. This last line, I feel, touches on an important dichotomy in his fleshing out, so to speak, of nature. There is the child reaction in us all toward nature, the simple delights and the spectacular shows. And then there is the higher connection, the wisest mind inherent in all of us reaching out and feeling aligned with the purity and brilliance of, in nature. He then goes on from there to describe an example of nature's everyday presence. The charming landscape which I saw this morning is indubitably made up of some 20 or 30 farms. Miller owns this field, Locke that, and Manning the woodland beyond. But none of them owns the landscape. There is a property in the horizon which no man has but he whose eye can integrate all the parts, that is, the poet. This is the best part of these men's farms, yet to this their warranty deeds give no title. I love this part because he is not talking about nature simply as the wilderness that has been untouched. Nature can be a patchwork of farms, unaligned to each other in boundaries and growth all playing their part in a grander whole, a broad performance of a thinly costumed earth. Here he speaks of the difficulty of seeing nature clearly. To speak truly, few adult persons can see nature. Most persons do not see the sun, at least they have a very superficial seeing. The sun illuminates only the eye of the man, but shines into the eye and the heart of the child. The lover of nature is he whose inward and outward senses are still truly adjusted to each other, who has retained the spirit of infancy even into the era of manhood. His intercourse with heaven and earth becomes part of his daily food. In the presence of nature, a wild delight runs through the man in spite of real sorrows. 
In this last bit about the delight trumping the sorrows, he is implying that the connection made with nature is more powerful, more electrifying to the soul than anything troubling us in our individual lives. I must say this constant pounding of nature's weight by Emerson and by me in this series is necessary for the simple reason that the subject is just not part of our cultural dialogue. There are cultures out there that are founded on this weight. The Native Americans' religion revolved entirely around nature and the animation of her character. But we, the current legs of the land, in true Western European tradition, have become civilized. Nature has been defeated in our small minds, a battle fought hard by the only side that saw a battle. Therefore, we can now dismiss nature, a trivial outsider, outcast beyond the city walls, doomed to live out her days among the 99% of the earth we have locked out. Humanity complicates itself into an inward spiral of tightly bound eyes, committed to the end, dedicated to following its tail, and nature stands alone, outside, nose pressed to the glass, watching us play against our hearts. But guess what's uplifting? Guess what's so beautiful about this arrangement? We know. You and I know. We know there's more to life than this. We know that there's more than lunch breaks and time cards, handshakes and polite conversation, hot news events and political debate. There's something out there and something inside that carries our hearts to, perhaps, our highest purpose, to feel life and to feel nature in all our wisdom and innocence. Listen to these words by Emerson that embodies the beautiful weight of nature. Crossing a bare common, in snow puddles, at twilight, under a clouded sky, without having in my thoughts any occurrence of special good fortune, I have enjoyed a perfect exhilaration. I am glad to the brink of fear. For Emerson, for us, these are the great moments of life. We are so fortunate to be able to experience nature with almost no risk. We live in an age where it is so available, so easy, that it is forgotten. I, for one, will not forget. I can catch a glimpse of a clearing on my drive home, and I am refueled. I think we all have that in us. We all have that ability to open up and to allow ourselves to be taken away into nature's delicate immensity. That brings us to a close. So until next time, I wish you well, and don't forget to follow nature's lead.